Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. So, um, we're going to be in three different passages today. Honestly, we're going to be kind of all over the place. So you're going to get your, you know, your Bible exercises in today. We're going to be flipping around or, you know, if you, you'll be clicking around, scrolling around. If you got digital, you know, that's okay. Uh, but, uh, do you guys mind if I, if I pray before we get started? I hope that's not a problem for anybody. If it is too bad. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are. Uh, God, I'm thankful for this body. I'm thankful for where you've you've brought me from and where you've placed me now. Um, God, it's it's such an amazing thing to think about what you sacrificed in order for us to have eternal life and how it wasn't fair and it wasn't right um, but it was necessary in order for you to, to buy us back. And, and you did it. You did the hard but necessary thing. And you would do it again. But, but God, you don't have to. You did it once and for all. And so, God, I pray that as we go through the, this, uh, this time in your word, that, that that would be made clear to everybody in this room just how much you love us and how much in response we should be serving you, Father. That is, that's my goal. I hope that that through what you've shown me, I hope that my life continues to grow and to change into more of a servant. Uh, and I, I pray that for all my brothers and sisters here today as well, Father. But God, I pray that you be glorified and I pray that souls would be saved today, God. Uh, I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> this is my Galaxy Tab S8. Behold, this was like maybe the most expensive piece of technology I've ever bought, right? I'm proud of it. (laughs) You know, uh, I would wager to even say, to go as far as to say that this is better than an iPad. And I know, I know that that's controversial, but meet me after the service. I'll show you. I'll show you and I'll prove it, okay? Now, all that to be said, the other day I was at work. I now work in an office. Boring, boo, boring office job is what I do now. But it's great, good health benefits. (laughs) Stable pay, it's great. I had my tablet on my desk. I use it to take notes at work. I had my tablet on my desk, it was in the charger. I had the the charging thing in it and I like rolled to get something, you know, you're in your little cubicle, so I'm like rolling all over the place. I rolled, I caught the cord with my foot, and no, this thing like went boom and hit the ground. The case came off of it, like it was just like not ready for it. And uh, initially I was like, ah, dang it, like, well, but then I I picked it up and I was even more like, ah, dang it, my screen protector had cracked. But it was okay, because I bought a pack of screen protectors. So I had another one. <laughs> but honestly, I wasn't that tore up about it. And I'm not saying I should have been like, like, you know, sackcloth and ashes over this, like, thing. 
But what I'm saying is that when I bought this thing, and for those of you who like were around when I bought this thing, initially I was like, nobody's touching it. Nobody else gets to put their little fingerprints on my tab, like whatever. Hey, I'm a tab. And, and so I, I held that thing close. I cherished it. And I, it was, just, it, I think, appropriately. I mean, it was an expensive piece of technology. I wanted to take care of it. I didn't drop it. I didn't, you know, scratch it or anything. I had nothing. Nothing happened to this thing. I kept it pristine. And it's still in very good shape. And I put the new screen protector on. <laughs> We're okay. Like, nothing's wrong. But it made me realize just how quickly we can devalue the things that we once found so precious, right? Like if that would have happened to me the second day I had my tablet, man, I would have been, I would have been pretty upset. If it would have happened before I got a screen protector on it and I cracked the screen, I know Ian, I don't know where you're at, but he, oh yeah, he just cracked his. Yeah, he's got, <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> we were in a meeting for a discipleship the other day. He was like, I don't even want to use it. <laughs> So I would be the same way, dude. I'd be like, dude, I gotta get another one. But, okay, so you, you see what I'm saying here? So this is, this is just a, 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 an idea that was, you know, you know, combing through my brain. And um, it, made me, it made me realize in conjunction with, you know, uh, my time in the Word, just how, you know, the phrase familiarity breeds contempt, right? And it made me just realize that like familiarity can breed a whole lot of things. One of them being contempt, but I also think it can breed, you know, carelessness, you know, like being careless with the things that are important, right? Uh, Disdain, you might start to, you know, despise something and whatever. I don't know. So it it really did, I don't know, open this this whole concept of what we're going to be talking about uh, today and, um, and that is dropping the precious things that God has given us um, and seeing, these, seeing the things that God has given us that are precious and were to us at one point the most precious thing now have become mundane, now have become something that's like, you know, because once you drop it one time, you're like, meh. You know, you eventually end up, you know, you toss your phone, you get a new phone, you cherish it. And then, you know, a year, year and a half later, you're like tossing it onto the desk, you know, like whatever. It's like, oh, the new one's coming out anyway. All right. So First uh, Samuel 3.19 just says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And so keep that in mind as we're going throughout the, and that's not in the slide. Sorry, I jumped ahead. I, I added that literally as I was sitting here. I'm, I forgot I hadn't put that in my notes. So sorry, Kent, I didn't mean to do that to you. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to look at the three different stages of how this can happen. Because eventually you get to this place where you feel apathetic towards God's word. You feel apathetic toward ministry, towards God's people all this stuff, and, and then sometimes we can, you know, click back into, like, reality and being like, man, I'm just coasting. Like, I don't really care about any of this. Like, what, I don't know how I got to this place, right? You know, and something else that I was thinking about, this may be, you know, unrelated. Nah, it's, it's related. 
trust me. But there's nothing that changed actually about the product. Think about like vintage things that we have, right? The thing that changes is our valuing of that thing. The thing actually is the same as it was the first day when you were like, oh, this is the best thing ever. You know, when the typewriter came out, they were like, this is unbelievable, this changes everything, you know? And it did, but eventually it fell out of popularity because new things came along and you know, people decided this is not as valuable, but what do we know now? There's people that collect these things. There's people that have, they, they write books on typewriters to seem you know, cool and hip. You know, they're at the coffee shop with their whole typewriter. <laughs> ding, ding, you know. Um, but man, people collect old vintage games, you know, all the Nintendo gaming systems. People collect them and play them. D- yeah, exactly. David. Yeah, I was like, where's David? <laughs> you know, and, and at some point we start to attribute value to those things again. And man, that's my hope for us and for myself is that, in these times of sorrow, that I would, I would be able to attribute the correct value to God's word and to the things God's given me when I'm in those seasons, right? Okay, so first, first you know, spot of how we get to this place is, is we first become careless with this thing, right? Uh, key point number one says, once, once you drop it, it becomes less valuable to you, right? You stop caring about it so much and, uh, and you then become careless. And like I said, it's like eventually this thing that you held so close to you has now become, you could take it or leave it, you know? It's like, mm, I know this thing was very valuable, but nah, eh, you know? And so um, 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 7 says, if you want to turn there, I'll give you a second. Go ahead. And that's what that, the first picture was, is, is of this scene, if you're curious. Second Samuel 1.6 says, uh, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people uh, that were with him from Baal of, Ju- of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Uh, and they set the ark upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadad that was in uh, Gibeah. And Uzzah, um, and Uzzah of Ahio, the son of Abinadad, drave the new cart and they brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God and Ahio, went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel uh, played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of uh, fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and, and on cymbals. And when they came to uh, Nashon's thre- threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. 
whoa, dude, kind of harsh. That seems like a pretty harsh and extreme response to something that seemed like a good gesture, right? And I would, I would wager to say that in these instances, this can go across the board. In these instances where we feel like we have the moral high ground against God, let's give God the benefit of the doubt and allow him to, 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 to be able to explain himself and to explain why this is actually completely justifiable and well known of why he shouldn't have been, even been doing what he was doing, right? And so first and foremost, though, they were only in this situation because David had become comfortable. He had become too comfortable with this precious thing that God had given him. He had been so, become so comfortable with it that he became careless with it, right? right? And so the, the, the reality is, is that he was doing this thing flippantly, right? He was, he was like, oh, we got to move this ark and, you know, you know, whatever, you know, let's just put it on this, this, this cart with, you know, the ox pulling it. And on, up again, on the front end, you're like, what's the big deal? What's wrong with that? Well, the, the thing that was wrong with it is that's not how God told them to move the ark. You know, I don't know. It's just like, it's a small thing, but it's actually a huge thing. Um, Joshua 3, uh, 3 through 4 says, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests of the Levites, uh, the priests, uh, the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove uh, from your place and go after it. Yet uh, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near it, uh, come not near unto it, that ye uh, may know the way by which you must go, for uh, ye have not passed this way heretofore, right? So in this passage, in, in, in Joshua, what you see is, who's carrying the ark? The Levites, the priests. This was a specific thing that God had laid out. This was not like an arbitrary, like God wasn't like, hey, whoever you got on hand, just go ahead and uh, grab the ark and whatever way is easiest to carry it, just do that, that's fine. No, he gave them specific instructions on how to carry it. He gave them specific instructions on who's supposed to be carrying it, right? And so when we, we become so comfortable with what God has given us that we feel at liberty to do whatever we want with what God's given us and that it's really not a big deal. But because David did this, it cost somebody their life, right? Maybe Uzzah knew better, maybe he didn't. I would say, I don't know, like I, if I was in his position, my knee-jerk reaction would probably be to try and catch it as well. Do something, keep it stable, whatever. But it shouldn't have been with the ox, with these random folks either, right? It was supposed to be carried on the shoulders of this group of priests, Levites, that were able to steadily walk with this thing, knowing that it wasn't gonna fall. But it's almost like you can hear the dialogue in, in David's head, right? he's like, the, the group of guys get together. They probably tried, I don't know. If, all, we've probably all experienced this where we could help somebody move. And you're like, well, we could probably get that. <laughs> it's probably not a big deal. It's just a piano, <laughs> you know? And then you, you like in your machismo, you grab it and you're like. <laughs> herniate some discs in your back, you know? And then you drop it on your foot and then whatever. 
by the end of it, you realize, like, we did that with Ryan's piano. I mean, we, like, had to lift that thing, and it was like, we thought, like, this won't be any big deal. And we just tried to lift it in a truck. It was awful. We should have thought better of how to do this. <sighs> Pianos are no joke. But I'm sure it was something similar. I don't know. They probably, like, tried it, and then they're like, oh, you know what? There's got to be an easier way to do this. And, I, and he was right. There was an easier way to do it, but was it the way that God had told them to do it? Was it how they were, had historically moved the ark? No. And so he did it, put it on this ox. What does the ox know? It's a, it's a dumb animal. Like, it's not thinking, like, I got to keep this thing safe. It's like, I'm walking, and I don't even want to be carrying this thing. I don't even know if I exist or not. I'm, I'm an ox. Right? And so, man, how sad, how sad to take the thing that God has given us that's so precious, and, and before we know it, we're setting it on the edge of our desk like it's like no big deal. If it falls, it falls, whatever, you know? And that, that was David's heart in this, and it hurt him. Afterwards, he realized, like, man, God, why'd you do that? Like, what happened? You know, whatever. And, and as time went on, obviously, you know, David's, you know, hope and faith and, and joy in the Lord was restored. But it, it took some time. It took some time for him to, like, come to terms with that. He had done something wrong that caused something else bad to happen, right? But similar, uh, I mean, similar to, to Moses. Think about Moses, right? Moses had the staff, right? He had his staff, the mighty staff that we all know. He threw it on the ground. It became a snake. God was like, this is what I've given you. This is what's in, in your hand. It's nothing other than I gave it to you. It's an amazing thing now because I gave it to you. And when he was leading the Israelites through the wilderness, the first time that, that you know, there was many times where the Israelites were like, we're tired. We're we want cucumbers. We want, you know, like all the things. And Moses was like, oh, God, what do I do? Like, these people are driving me crazy. And they're thirsty. I don't know how to, you know, get all these people water. And he's like, go and take that staff and hit this rock. And he did it. And he was obedient. And out of that rock, water flowed well enough for everybody to drink. Made no sense. It was a complete miracle. The second time this happens Moses had become so comfortable with his relationship with the Lord. He had become so comfortable in the thing that was in his hand that he thought he knew what was best, right? And that careless act of God saying, actually, this time, don't hit the rock, speak to it. He was like, now nah, I did this before, it worked. Wha-bam! And then that was it. He, he dropped the precious thing that, that, he, that God had given him, right? And that was his obedience, in that moment, he dropped the, the thing, the relationship between him and God was now damaged because he chose to, to be careless and, and to become so you know, comfortable and nonchalant about the thing that God had given him that it, it drove him to, to sin against the Lord, right? And then we know that that ended up with, with Moses actually not being able to go into the promised land. Man, what a bummer. Right? That, that one step of disobedience kept him from experiencing the whole purpose of being in the wilderness was you know, to experience God's you know, promised land that he, he wanted them to experience. 
Now Moses did end up just spending his last days just between him and God, and they grew close, and it was an amazing you know, story of, I, I didn't see that when I was first reading that, but it's, it is an amazing story of redemption, just how God's relationship with Moses was sweet at the end, and it was so close that actually God buried Moses himself, and nobody even knows where he was buried. So sweet. There's worse ways to end your life, you know? So, um, key question number one, though, have you become comfortable and careless with the precious things that God has given you? That's been very convicting uh, to me personally. When I feel my walk slipping, when I feel, you know, this dry season that we always talk about, I'm in a dry season. Yeah. And, and again, it's because I've become careless with this precious thing that is God's word, right? Okay, so secondly, so first we saw that we become careless with it. And then secondly, secondly what happens is then, then once we've, you know, once we've become careless, then we start to actually uh, despise that thing, right? So there's this transition where it was the best thing, then it was an all right thing that we could take or leave, and then eventually once you've dropped it enough, you're like, I need a new one. Or like, I can't, I feel locked into this thing. Right? Um, and so key point number two is once we despise it, we start to look for a replacement. Like whatever is going to fill that void, that whatever, that whatever the joy is or whatever the feeling that you think you, you know, used to have or whatever, you start to look for something else to, that would give you that feeling. You know? Um, man, at one point, following the Lord was worth everything to you. It was at one point, following Christ was worth just everything. It wasn't even worth considering doing something else with your life, right? I don't know, I just remember in those first, like in, the, in my first few weeks of being a Christian, maybe a few months, I was so obnoxious, probably to my parents, to my brothers, to, you know, everybody that was around me. I was like, you need this and this. I just thought like I knew everything and I was so like, I was so excited about what God was showing me. And I would also tell my dad a lot of times, have you seen this? And he's like, I've been telling you that for 20 years. <laughs> Why are you just now figuring that out? You know, whatever. Because I got a hard head. But, you know, so I, I, all that to say, I had this, what we, we'd call, you know, the new believer fervor, like that, that, you know, angst. It's like, man, this is, it feels like a fire shut up in my bones and I've got to talk about it. I've got to tell somebody about it because it's an amazing thing and it changed my life and I was this and now I'm this. And, and I can't think of anything else that's worth my mind space right now besides Christ. And then what happened? Some years, you know, started to pass. Um, you know, I've, I dropped it a few times. I dropped my you know, my walk a few times, I felt like, oh man, I failed here, I failed there. I tried this, it didn't work, I feel this way. And, and then, you know, slowly I just, you know, you get to that place where you feel like, man, it's just not the same as it used to be. But what I, the, man, is God worth you following him even if you don't feel the same way as you did the very first day that you were saved, right? I've had a lot of injuries in my life, 
for those of you who are close to me, you know that like I'm very injury prone. Um, but I have, praise God, I haven't got hurt in a while. But you know what? Like it takes a while to heal. And the first day that, the joy I felt the first day I came out of my boot whenever I had broken my ankle was like, <gasps> like it felt so good. If you've ever had a cast cut off, it feels so good. You know, I almost recommend you just break something. <laughs> just so you can experience it. It's worth it. Please do it. It's so cool. But yeah, no, eventually that joy of like, oh, I can walk again. It becomes mundane. You know, I don't think about it every day. I don't think about how awesome it is to be able to walk. But there was a period of like six months where I was transitioning from like being on crutches or on a, in a wheelchair to crutches to the boot to all this stuff. And, and my dad knows it right now. He just had ankle surgery recently. So he's, you know, he's on the scooter. You probably saw him zooming down the hill. <laughs> I was like trying to grab the back of his coat, like, Dad, chill, right? But anyway, so, man, once that new believer magic kind of wears off a little bit, the thing that we loved so much is it starts to to fade away and you, you feel different ways about it. And so now instead of embracing the identity that Jesus gave us, sometimes we treat it like it's something to be ashamed of. You know? It, it becomes something that where at one point we were like, we didn't want anyone to know anything about us other than that we were a Christian. And then once that became, maybe you got rejected a few times evangelizing. Maybe it just took a handful of times for you to like get made fun of for being a Christian you know, maybe you saw one too many videos or something on Instagram where they're like, if you believe in Jesus, you believe in fairy tales and you're a, you know, you're a dummy if you do this, right? And you started to believe it. You started to think, man, this is, man, <sighs> am I a dummy? You know, you start thinking, and yeah, you probably are. Uh, but it's all right, me too. But man, it's, it's sad. So it took me, this, this took me, if you want to turn with me to Matthew uh, 26, Verses 69 through 75. <clears throat> this is one of the saddest moments in the entire Bible. It says, <clears throat> Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. He says, when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, with an oath, I do not know that man. I do not know the man. And after a while uh, came unto him uh, they that stood by and said to Peter, surely thou also art one of them. For thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, 
which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. I would be weeping too if I realized what I had just done, if I was in Peter's shoes, right? And the, the reality is we've, we've done the same thing, right? We've, you know, okay, so, but what was happening here, you know, it's always, it's always easy to judge from a 2,000 year difference. Like a 2,000 years, it's like, oh man, what an idiot. Like how could he, he saw what Jesus did. He was with him. He saw him feed the 5,000. He saw him do all these miracles. He saw him raise people from the dead. Why would now he choose to like, to deny him, right? It's easy to do that. It's easy to point that finger. But remember, you know, what do they say for, or what, for every finger pointing that way, there's three pointing at you. So it's like this, you know, see these fingers? They're pointing back at me, right? Does that make sense? I, get, I did that, right? I was thinking like, are my thumbs technically pointing at me? I don't know. But aren't your thumbs technically part of your wrist or something? Like you're not even your fingers? Or something? I don't know. I heard that somewhere. Anyway, it's easy. My point is, it's easy to judge someone uh, from, from a distance. And it's so easy to forget. Uh, me and Alvaro were talking about this before. We just, how easily we forget that we've done the same thing. And how, actually, how often we do that thing. And then when we, like, do the right thing, we're like, oh, man, that was awesome. I should do that every time. And then the next time that thing comes up, you don't do it. And you're like, you know, whatever. Like, it, it, it is that way. But in the sad reality of this moment is that Peter wanted to be anything but a Christian in this moment. And that's sad. It's sad for him, but it's sad for me because I know I've been in that spot. When I, when I stepped in, when I've stepped into the circle of my coworkers that are just bashing Christians and just talking about how dumb Christians are and about how messed up the church is and about how, you know, you know, whatever, whatever, like all this stuff, man, in that moment, I just want nothing more sometimes than to be like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I just don't want to, either I don't want to say anything or I just like wish I could hide my identity. But like, because I was like, you know, excited about it at one point, I already made that identity clear to everybody, so they're all like, Al's a Christian. What do you think about this? And I'm like, ugh, why'd you have to ask me, you know? And in that moment, I end up despising my identity as a Christian, right? Peter couldn't escape his identity. He wore it like it was his, his uniform. It was in his speech. It was in how he carried himself. Everything about him said he was a follower of Jesus, but yet in that moment, he wanted nothing more than to just not be a Christian because his life was in danger. Because there was something that he, he felt like his identity had him locked into something that he, was threatening his life in that moment, right? Now, I'm not, not saying that, that Peter overall hated being a Christian all the time. What I'm saying is that he despised it in terms of he didn't want to be identified with Christ in that moment. Amen. 
that's, I think that's where a lot of us have gotten to. When we become so comfortable with God's word that we become careless with it and we, not, we stop reverencing it the way that it should be and then we start, you know, trying to, to take on this new, you know, or whatever, like, it, it's just, I don't know if you guys can relate to that. It's sad to think about, about it for Peter, but that's my, my second question is, are you despising the things that God's given you? Right? I don't know if that's in there. Question two. We'll see. It's okay. Write that down. <laughs> Have you come to a place where you not only are careless with the things that God's given you, but you actually despise it at times? You know? Um, okay, so, so, so far we've looked at, uh, first, you know, we, we drop it and we become careless with it, right? And then we start to despise our identity in it, right? It's, a, it's something that, that we actually don't love being tied to, you know, there's, you know, whatever. And then once, once we have, and so we try, we, we replace it with something else. We try and take on a new identity, right? Something that's more convenient, something that's less threatening to our life, our well-being, our, all these things. We try and, you know, replace it with just about anything, whether that's, you know, passive Christianity, no Christianity, the world, drugs, girls, guys, whatever it is in your life that you've tried to replace it with, you try, Right? <clears throat> right, and so then, after despising it, we trade it in. And so key point number three is, once we have replaced it, we are left with a poor substitute for the real thing. Amen? I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've thought, you know, this just isn't worth it. And like, I'll do anything other than this. And so then in that moment, you just have this like lapse of, this is like moment of like, yep, I'm going and I'm doing it. I'm doing this in the world, whatever it is, because I know that that's what is going to actually be fun and joyful for me. That's what I'm going to do. And then you get that thing and it's like, just like such a sucker punch of like reality where you're like, this is not what I thought it would be. Right, and the world—it's like the the rug just gets pulled out from under you. They they make all these promises, and then you're left with with absolutely nothing. It's the best. It's the uh, a pyramid scheme. Amanda loves watching these videos about how pyramid schemes are like the worst things in the world. <laughs> I like she'll be like doing the dishes, like listening to this video. <laughs> and it's like some lady in her kitchen, like talking about how awful it is. She's right, though. Don't get caught up. <laughs> You'll lose your money. You know, you lose money in that. And that's, that's how it is. If Satan dangles this thing in front of you as if it's like a, an appropriate replacement to the thing that was given to you, that was precious and whatever. And you, in that moment, you take it. 
And you think, yeah, this will be it. It's kind of like uh, switching lanes in traffic. You guys ever done that? You know, like you're switching lanes, like you're driving, you get stuck in gridlock traffic. And you're thinking, oh, how did I get stuck in traffic? And not only that, how did I get stuck in the slowest lane possible? Seems like all these people want to do is hit the brakes. That's it. And so you see an opening and you're like, yes, Tokyo Drift. Like, you get over and then you're in that lane and you go for like a few seconds and then boom, it's just gridlock again. And then that's the moment when you look to your right. <laughs> and you're like, maybe I should just get out and run. Like maybe, maybe that'd be quicker. We experienced this just recently, driving back from Texas. We got stuck in this. We had 26 minutes left before we were home after an eight-hour drive. And I was, like, tired and all that stuff. And then we hit the back of this traffic that turned it into an hour and 10 minutes left. And I was like... <laughs> yeah. Talk about, like, a test of my, my testimony. I was about <laughs> lost my cool. <laughs> like, I'll fight anybody in this... We're on this highway right now. <laughs> it was wrong. It was wrong. <laughs> but the reality is, is that you get what you pay for. And when you choose to pay for the, the poor substitute of the real thing, you get that thing. And so you can't be surprised when that thing is garbage. We always are, though. We always are surprised when, when the, the, the thing that is not as good is worse than the thing that is good. Somehow, we're always surprised. And, and God is always so faithful, though, to make sure that he is there. He's, he's faithful to remind us of the things that like, we should be you know, thinking on and whatever. And, you know. But 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 11. So we've got another bit of a, a passage. <sighs> 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 11 says, And I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing uh, in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come uh, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away from their... Uh, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Uh, but watch thou in all things endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Man, what an amazing testimony. I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I would feel weird saying that about myself because it would feel like boastful almost. Like I'm like, I did it. But in reality, Paul wasn't being boastful of himself. He's all, he was always very transparent about how jacked up he was and about how much Christ had worked in his life. And so he's coming to this moment honoring and glorifying what God has done in his life, not about what he did. He's like, man, this is what God did through me. And man, praise God that I, that I, just, I just kept doing it. And now I'm here. I'm nobody, but now I'm here and I fought a good fight. I'm ready to stand before God. 
Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before the Lord? Have you been cleansed by his, the saving blood of Jesus Christ like the song we were singing? Have you been to Jesus for his cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Paul was like, absolutely. Nothing is gonna stop me. I'm ready, right? <clears throat> he goes on to say, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all of them also that love is appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. He's writing this letter. He's you know, saying, you know, this is his, his farewell, right, to, to Timothy. He's saying, uh, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Dang. And it depart, and it is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, uh, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable for the ministry, profitable to me for the ministry. And now, so we see this disciple, Demas. Demas traded his life that Jesus gave him for his love of the world. Like, I don't know what it was. I don't know what his particular bend was. But that temptation, that reality, none of us are too good for that to be a reality of us. You've never arrived. You're never too far away that sin can't be right around the corner, that Satan can't tempt you to pull you away from the things that are really important. And it's real. The temptation is there. You cannot let your guard down. You can't say, well, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Because then before you know it, you have Demas' testimony. Right? And as far as I know, that's, that's kind of where it ends for Demas. Like, that's like, that's it for him. You know, whatever he, all the other things that he had done prior to this are now overshadowed by the reality that he just, he didn't, he fell and he just got lost in the world. He left me. I'm alone. He loved the world. <clears throat> it just isn't worth it. It's a terrible trade. It's a terrible trade. Right? And I know that it seems alluring. There's lots of reasons to, you know, go the way of the world. It's pretty convenient sometimes. It's very, it's inconvenient to be a Christian a lot of times, especially today, where the slightest wrong thing you say might get you canceled, whatever that, you know, it's like, I'm still a person, you didn't delete me from existence. I'm not canceled, you can't cancel me. I don't think you can cancel brown people anyway. So I think that's against the rules. Whatever rules are, whatever's going on right now, I don't think you can do that. So I'm, I feel fine. Come at me, I don't care. So, right, dude. <clears throat> um, but you know what? I, I bet if you asked Peter if it was worth it, he'd say no. In that moment when he was vehemently denying Christ, you know, if you asked him the next day, was it worth it? I guarantee you he would say no. 
right? Because we see he, he immediately was broken. When he remembered what Jesus had told him, he was like, what a terrible trade. I just traded my life for the next however many years I got. I just traded this for now, like, for what? Like, it's nothing. I, God, Jesus had come to this earth perfect, ready to, to save and seek and save those which were lost, which I was one of them. And now I just traded that away for a few extra, you know, hours of life. When this is, he's, he's offering me eternal life. Peter knew that. Peter realized that he messed up. So if you asked him, he would definitely say it wasn't worth it even for a second. And we know that also because he then later on, he gets killed for following Christ. Most of the, uh, the disciples do actually, besides one. And so it's like, you know, yeah, Peter definitely, you know, would have recanted his, his denial of Christ, undoubtedly. Uh, if you asked, even if you asked Judas, you ever think about this? Judas felt so terrible and realized what he had done. He felt so terrible about it that he killed himself. Now, he didn't have to do that, because that, and that's the amazing thing about our Lord. Our God is not like other gods that are stoic and, and distant and say, no, you don't get to you know, be here or whatever. Like, God is righteous and he's perfect, but he gave us a way to be righteous and perfect with him, only through his blood, right? And, he, and that's, that breaks my heart, thinking about if Judas, if, if Judas would have done what Peter did and repented and, come, and, and just restored that relationship between Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have put his hands out and said no. He would have embraced him. He would have took him in and he said, I love you, my son, I love you. Let's get moving. I know that what you did, that was awful, man. But let's, I love you. Judas would have, I, I, if we could ask Judas right now, I would, I'd put my money on that. He would say, That's, it wasn't worth it. The, whatever money he get, you know, it's like, what did he even do with it? He didn't even do anything with it in the time that he had it. Uh, Psalm 73, it's my favorite psalm. Um, I just feel like I can relate to it really well. Uh, you know, Psalm 73, one says, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped for I was envious at the foolish. And um, can you relate to that? You know, Peter, or, uh, Asaph goes on to talk about all this stuff. He's comparing his life to the life of, you know, these, these Gentile people around him who are just living these horrific, you know, sinful lives. And he's saying, look at them. They're doing all the things that I'm trying to not do and they're having so much success in their life. Seems like they have no problems. They're getting to sleep with whoever they want to sleep with. They're getting to do the drugs that they want to do. They're having fun. They're partying. They're doing all the things that I wish I could do in my flesh. But I know that in my heart, my identity as, as a child of God would make me feel bad for doing those things. Right? Back to the despising of your identity. Right? And so this is where Asaph is at. He's like, man, I, hmm. Why? He's like, it's, this is a vain thing that I'm doing. He's like, why am I following God, doing all the right things, 
and trying my hardest and I still have turmoil in my life. I still have all these things that are messed up and I, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm you know, depressed, I'm all of these things. Why is that me? But it seems like the world's doing just fine. And so he was like, you know what? I almost went that way. It seemed very, very, very appealing to, to Asaph. And it seems that way to me at times. And I would bet it would probably seems that way to some of you guys. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you guys, but I, I would say that like that's probably a thing that most of us have thought of at times. I'm like, this is a very inconvenient life that we're living. Right? Sometimes it sucks. Right? But this is what he has to say about it. In, in verse 16, he did say, he said, when I thought on this, it, it was too painful for me. He thought about all the ways they were succeeding. It's too painful for me to think about my life compared to theirs. But in verse 17, it says, until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. So it wasn't until Asaph made the decision, the active decision to, to enter back into the presence of God and to see him for who he was and to see what life is for what it is and how long our life is here and then to see eternity for what it is and to see that, man, that, hmm, this isn't adding up. You almost got me. He's like, hmm, Satan, you almost got me. That's a good one, you know? Props, you know? Like, Satan is kind of a one-trick pony, but he's good at it. You know, and it, man, I almost got scammed the other day. You know, I'm not even old, and I thought I'm smart, I'm like slick, whatever. Man, this lady from Jamaica, New York, called me saying I stole $300 from her, and I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, I mean, it, was, it took some convincing Eventually, it seemed, it seemed like a scam, but we have like this like risk and fraud department in our job, and I went to the head of it, and I was like, please help me. Uh, is this real? Uh, you know? And she looked it up, and she found this lady's number and all this stuff. She was like, it's a, it's a scam. I was like, okay. Whew. I was like, you almost got me. It was pretty convincing, you know? And I thought, surely I'm not that way. But here I am, almost giving $300 to some random lady in New York. What a shame, dude. But anyway, <clears throat> it's just, it's a terrible trade. But praise God, that doesn't have to be the end of it. If you have dropped the ball, if you have devalued God's word, if you have fallen into sin and temptation and into the world and, and, and been far away from the Lord for even a, even a long period of time, that is not unredeemable. Because we have a God who loves us and cares for us. And actually, he, the, the, the fact that we would fall away, the fact that we would make poor decisions, the fact, this isn't new to God. He's not like, what the? He knew it. He not only read the fine print before he did what he did, he wrote the fine print. And he knew exactly what he was signing up for, and he would do it again and again and again if he had to. If, if Dylan, if you were the only one that sinned in this whole world ever, he would have died for you. 
whoa. If I was the only one, if Jasmine, if you were the only one, he would have still said it's worth it. Does that make sense? That doesn't make any sense to me. But praise God, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to make sense. The fact that Jesus Christ, he said in Hebrews 2, he says he became yet a little lower than the angels. He, he became lower than the, at what was at one point the lowest form of being, which was an angel. He said, I'm going to be lower than that. I'm going to be dirt of no reputation. Give up all the things that I have so that you could be rich. All the riches I have, I'm giving them up to buy you back from an eternal separation, an eternal death in hell. You're worth it. Why? I don't know, because we all suck. I don't know, like I know, on, exactly, like I, I'm, I'm not worth dying for, especially to the creator of the universe. But here we are, he did it. And I can, I can either, you know, get with it or you know, just be upset. I don't know what, like I, it's a truth. So I have to either accept that truth or not. Mark was, unredeem, was seemingly unredeemable. He left Paul on their missionary journey. But did you hear what he said there at the end of that, that last, uh, in that second Timothy? He said, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he's profitable to me for the ministry. God can redeem. God can redeem that time. God can redeem anything that you think you have messed up so royally. You feel like, oh, like, there's no coming back from this. You're wrong. There is, there is coming back from it, right? Man, praise God. Um, go ahead and skip to that, the last slide. I don't know how many I've got in here. Right, so we got the precious thing, right? Um, <clears throat> I'll just read this real quick. <clears throat> Luke 24, 38 through 39 says, and he said unto them, why are you troubled? Why do, the, why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, right? He said, handle me. He offers himself to to be handled, right? And we know that Jesus Christ in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? This is Christ. This is the precious thing that we have. Handle me. He's, this is the answer to all these problems, right? We, we need to pick the word of God back up. See it for what it is. Move forward. Handle it. Know what it actually means for our life. Do the opposite of what got you here. You know, how about instead of being careless with God's word, we just become careless with the things of this world? What if we like became careless with Netflix? What if we became careless with, I don't know, just like whatever the thing is that is stealing your attention from God, from his word. What if we became careless with that? Not saying those things are just outright evil, but what if they weren't the most important thing in your life? And that, don't you think that if, that, if the, what we just walked through is true, the adverse would also be true? You'd start to lose a desire for it. You'd start to actually not want to relate and, and identify with the world in the ways that they go because you're like, actually, that doesn't matter to me. What Christ says about me is what matters to me, right? What if instead of, you know, despising our identity in Christ, what if we actually wore it like a badge of honor, you know, and, and 
man, everything would just start to turn around. That's the precious thing. Praise God that Jesus Christ came and he died for your sins. Praise God that nothing you've done is unredeemable. Praise God that he's given us the most precious thing in the world, right? And Mary knew what that thing was, right? Martha, Mary, right? He said that your sister Mary, she's found, she knows the most, pre- the, the, the only thing that really matters. The one needful thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Everything else kind of falls into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. There we go. That's the answer. Now it's one thing to say it, another thing to live it out. But nobody's saying you have to be perfect. We just have to acknowledge it. Be able to step forward in faith. Get up when we fall. Take advantage of this body that God has given us. This church, this local church. If this is your church home, and if it's even not, I I encourage you to get involved. Figure out what it means to have church family that can uphold you when you've fallen. And then you get to do that for them when they fall. Praise God. All right, go to the the last slide that I got. So this thing, funny that I'm talking about all this, like, you know, moving on from technology. My phone has been glitching pretty bad. And this was like a glitch that my phone did where I was trying to look up precious, like the word precious, doing a little word study. And then for some reason, it it just looked up Jesus. And I was like, What? I was like, this is a perfect mistake. I don't know what happened. This is a perfect mistake. All the times I get frustrated with my phone, I'm like, ah, it's not working. I don't know what's going on. And then this happened. And it's perfect because that is the precious thing that God has given us most of all is himself. In the form of his word, in the form of this, his Holy Spirit, in the form of his church, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to encouragement to move forward in, in confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ. It, okay. All right. So I've said a lot. That's it. So I encourage you to re- continue to reflect on these questions, right? Reflect on these things that, that we've talked about and, and consider if, if any of these, these things have become part of your life. Is God's word commonplace now in your life where it's like, you take it or leave it? Have you lost track of what the precious thing is? Is Jesus Christ still precious in your eyes? So um, I'm gonna pray and, and uh, Seth, if you wanna come on and back up. Um, God, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for what you've done in my life. Uh, there's nothing that's worth giving up what you've given me. And God, I know that at times I don't behave that way. I act like there is things that are worth giving up that are are worth trading you in for. And I just repent of that, Father. I repent of that. And I I, I just hope and I pray that, God, as we leave here, um, that everyone in this room would leave considering the ways that we've devalued your word in our life, that we've devalued our relationship with you in our life what you've done for humanity. God, you're worth it. And, and I just pray that, that we would realize that. Help us to, to continually stay in remembrance of what it is that you did for us so that we always have a proper reverence for who you are and what you did. Um, Father, I love you. 
I pray that, uh, God, that you would just be uh, impressing it upon people's hearts that if, if they have something to repent of, if they have a decision to be made, God, if, if there's people in this room who've, who, who don't actually, they have actually never experienced what it, what it feels like to, to know you as their father, to, to be forgiven, slate wiped clean, you know, of all of their sins, God, I pray that these people in this room would not be too embarrassed to come forward, that these people would not be ashamed of what they've done, but God, that they would come forward and that they would, they would meet with one of our counselors up front and that we'd work through it according to what your word says, not just what the world says, but what your word says about them. God, that they are loved, that they are not too far gone, uh, that if they, if they just receive your gift of salvation, God, that their sins are as far as the east is from the west from your mind, God, that you see us and you justify us. It's just as if we never sinned. I'm so thankful for that fact. And help me to believe that. Help me to know that you love me. It's a fact. And regardless of how I feel, God, help me to, to hold on to that truth with everything I have. God, I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.